You know, we want to make sure that we support players' well-being. Why? Because it's the foundation for the performance. If you don't look after the person, you don't get the player. And it's it's literally as simple as that. And it was, you know, our way of saying we're going to support players holistically. We're going to push you. There's going to be challenges. It's going to be hard. But we're going to be a safety net. And it's okay to, to feel like there's bumps in the road because for a talent development environment, there has to be. And if there isn't, we'll put them in for you because you have to feel mm-hmm. that. Hello and welcome to episode 21 of the 50 Cups of Coffee podcast. I am your host, Bobby Audley. The last episode we dropped was on July 6th. It is now two months later and I am excited to kick off part two of season one, if you want to call it that, of this podcast. I am considering this part two of season one because I have 15 interviews that I have already recorded that I would love to get to you. And those are guests that that are a part of season one. I think that means something. And, and, and I am going to make sure that those folks, these interviews get out this fall. When I first launched this podcast in February of this year, I had great intentions of doing part one of season one really from February until about early July and and then kicking off part two, uh, September and, and going through January, which is what I'm doing. I'm sharing that now, though, because I am you know, when I, when I took this break, I didn't say anything on the podcast and, and I didn't uh, put anything on social media about it. I just kind of went dark on the podcast for the last two months. And I've had a lot of folks reaching out, asking me when the podcast is going to kick back up, when a new episode is coming and what's going on with it. And the truth is, I had always had this intention of taking a break in in July because that's usually when I take a break anyways. And then come August is always my busiest month of the year. And then, of course, what happened was life. I don't think I need to get into what has happened since since I launched this podcast in February, whether it be COVID-19 and business shutdowns and sports seasons in flux and, and conferences I work with that are just completely shut down, conferences I work with that are doing truncated seasons of six games or 10 games or no NCAA championships, uh, corporate groups I work with that have had, you know, we had retreats planned in May that, that got bumped to September because uh, that made sense at the time. And, and who knows if that's going to happen now and, and and a lot of stuff going on and then obviously if you're a, a regular listener of the show I I be I took the podcast in a different direction uh, with with social justice conversations that I have always believed in and I have always been passionate about but I haven't always been open with on my podcast, on my social media, or or as a leadership speaker, I, I do believe in being apolitical as a leadership speaker because my my role is not to insert my opinion. My role is to teach and to train in in what I do. And I got to a point where I realized I, I believe the conversations that I started to have on this podcast were not political. Uh, they they were they were leadership conversations. They're culture conversations. They're relationship conversations. They're connection conversations that I believe we need to have. And so we had them. And I still have some of those conversations that I recorded ready to go. I want to explain why I have 15 interviews yet to be released. When I launched this podcast, the wisdom, the the people I spoke to who gave me guidance on podcasting said, you want to have at least five interviews in the tank if your plan is to do a weekly podcast, because, you know, who knows if a guest has to cancel or if, if you have to cancel or for some reason, you're just not able to have a guest for a particular week to stay consistent. You should have five kind of on deck backup in the tank episodes. So I reached out to 10 people and said, would you be willing to be on this new podcast? And and hoping that five said yes. And all 10 said yes, which I was humbled by and just couldn't believe. And so I got 10 interviews done before I even launched. And then once I started doing the weekly interviews, I was shocked and, and humbled by how many folks were willing to, were reaching out to me saying they wanted to be on the podcast and people that I would meet, whether it was during training or whether it was talking to a guest and afterwards saying, who else should I talk to? Uh, which has been a tremendous question for me, whether it's in my own personal 50 cups of coffee or in this podcast, ending a cup of coffee, ending a conversation by saying, who else should I talk? to that has always led to another fantastic connection, relationship, and opportunity. And that has led me at this point in the podcast going into my part two of season one. And quite frankly, not even, uh, not not that I, I, I can't do more interviews, but 
it would it wouldn't be prudent because of 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 having these 15 in the tank and ready to go so that doesn't mean i'm not going to do any interviews i actually have a couple people that have reached out that would like to be on the show that i think would be a great guest for for the fall so we'll probably do those and uh, i do have 15 episodes ready to rock ready to bring to you i've got to edit them and add my intros and you name it but uh but they're ready to go so i'm excited to kick off this part two of season one i appreciate you being a part of the show for its its inaugural run this spring uh excited to have you here for the fall an update on the show uh in our first 20 episodes we have just over 5400 listens which i think is incredible i'm told is pretty good. And I actually just got an email. Um, I'm on this, you know, uh, email chain or, or I signed up for like this, you know, program that helps you build and grow a podcast. And I actually haven't done any of it. Um, not, not out of any other reason than kind of way I operate is like, let me just figure this out myself for a little bit. And then, and then I'll reach out for help. I don't know if that's the right thing to do. That's what I do. Let me figure out my, my gaps, what I need to learn. You know, if I'm just learning something before I do it, I don't know how to apply it. So I decided just to do the podcast and then we'll reach out for help afterward. And, um, this email comes through and it says how to get 5,000 listens in your first 15 episodes. And I sat there and thought, I got 5,400 in my first 20 and I haven't uh, read this article yet. So I, I feel pretty good about where we're at. I feel very good about where we're at. Uh, it's all because of you. I appreciate you listening. I appreciate you texting, reaching out, uh, engaging on social media, asking about future guests and and still, you know, and just being passionate about this idea of, of connecting, which it sounds, um, it sounds like a, a cliche, but I think it's needed now more than ever. To kick off part two, of season one, I have a fantastic guest that I believe fits really well with the time that we're in right now. My guest today is Coach Charlotte Healy. Charlotte Healy is currently the WSL Academy Manager and U21 Head Coach at Manchester United. Yes, the Manchester United. There, her task upon being hired was to create the best talent development program in the country, of course, being the UK, for high school age girls, which in the UK, they call college. So when you hear Charlotte talk about college, that's what we in the States call high school. When she says university, that's college or university for what we in the States call college or university. So if you didn't know that, now you know, and you're ready for this interview. Charlotte played professionally for Long Eaton United and coached football, soccer to us, getting you into the lingo here for several clubs including Chesterfield FC, Manchester FA, Manchester City, the iconic Liverpool Football Club, and of course now Charlotte coaches with Manchester United, also an iconic program. Why I believe this interview is a great one to kick off our part two uh, going into a fall of sports seasons that maybe are still unknown maybe they're happening maybe they're truncated uh maybe maybe it's it's uh, uh you're not playing for your high school team you're just playing for your club team or maybe you're just coaching for a club team uh, when you look at charlotte's resume what stood out to me were some of the titles that were a part of her roles at these different clubs that i just named for example, she has worked with something that's called the FA Women's High Performance Football Center, the Center of Excellence, and is now a part of what's called Academy Programs. Studying long-term athlete development, talent development, leadership, and team development as I have, I have read about and heard stories and talked to folks about the talent development and academy programs that they have across the pond. And this cup of coffee was my first opportunity to really sit down and talk and ask questions about these programs with someone who's not only been involved with several of them uh, as a player and now a coach, but has also been tasked by one of the, the most celebrated and recognized clubs in the world to run their program. And, and the task wasn't just run it for girls. It was we have one of the best talent development programs in the world for boys and men. We want that same standard set for our girls and women, and Charlotte was hired to make that happen. In this strange limbo of sports, wherever you are at, talent development never stops. If you're a coach at any level, I think you are going to consume this interview. If you are a leader in any capacity, you are going to learn much from how Charlotte approaches her role as a leader, as a coach, as a manager, 
And I think you may be pleasantly surprised at how, or, or what I should say, Charlotte's belief about winning and how she approaches running the academy at, again, not to overplay it, but one of the most recognized and celebrated sports clubs in the world. I know soccer isn't uh, 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 as popular in this country as what we call football. Uh, and I encourage you, if, if you're a listener, I know many folks listening are soccer people because I, I, I played soccer and, and a lot of my, my teams that I work with are soccer teams. And uh, maybe there's some folks listening that don't know Manchester United or don't know Liverpool, who Charlotte also worked for. Um, if that is the case, Google it, look it up so you know who you are listening to when you listen to what Charlotte has to share because it, it does make a difference. She shares some brilliant uh, ideas and takeaways and beliefs in this conversation and, and considering who she works for, it makes them that much more powerful. Uh, this was a fantastic conversation that I was uh, excited and blessed to have. And again, I started this podcast with the conviction that I would do all of the interviews in person. And I am I am someone who, when I, when I say I'm going to do that, I stand by that. So um, I sit here and, and wonder, would I have been so stubborn as to turn down this interview if, if COVID-19 did not force this online? Not trying to say that, that uh, this global pandemic, um, that, that's one of the good things that came out of it. That sounds a little bit self-centered. However, for me, that's definitely something that I've said, you know what, I've, I've learned that we can have some really good conversations virtually. It doesn't replace in person. I can't wait to get back and have some in person. I've even looked into uh, getting some plexiglass so I can do some in-person interviews this fall. And, um, and this was definitely one of those virtual conversations that I am very grateful uh, I was able to have. So with that being said, welcome to part two of season one of the 50 Cups of Coffee podcast. Please enjoy my cup of coffee with Coach Charlotte Healy. So, I mean, I just like any other kid really grew up loving football. Uh, my family are massive Glasgow Celtic fans. So um, just kind of grew up in a household that was massive on football, big family on football. And um, strangely, I've got a twin brother who hates football. I don't know if that was because <laughs> I used to stick him in goal and kick balls at him or what. But um, yeah, maybe. He, yeah, I just I grew up playing for my local team. It was uh, what was back then a centre of excellence. So you like your kind of like ODPL, kind of VCNL kind of stuff. Um and went all the way through there playing for when I was 16, ended up playing for a, a women's team, uh, which I loved. I was just playing with really good friends and, and I really enjoyed it. And I played for probably oh, around probably 14 years. Um, I had a persistent back injury and just never really, I couldn't stay fit, just picking up niggly injuries. And um, I mean, I, I started, I actually started coaching when I was 16 and I, and I completed what was back then a level one um, and I actually really enjoyed it and it was really strange because I was the youngest player on my team I was um, probably not the nicest person on the pitch and I think that really changed me in terms of it made me realize um, you know how important it was to make sure that everything that goes with football rather than just you know the on-pitch stuff and you know how you treat people how you are as a teammate the the um, the design that goes into coaching and match play and everything else that I hadn't really ever considered before. I was just always felt like the baby of the team that always had to prove myself. Mm. Um, so I, I completed my level one and really enjoyed it. And just with, with my back, I never really, I could, I could probably train twice a week and play, but I couldn't train at the level I wanted to three times a week and play consistently. I was always picking up little injuries. And um, as I completed my level two, the, the, the course tutor actually said to me, why don't you come down? Um, to Derby County and where he worked and he was the academy director there and he said just come down volunteer he said you know um, it, it, I played for him whilst I was at college and he said don't fall out of the game it's really important that you find a way to stay in the game and when I told my mates they were kind of like you, you're going to coach really I you can't imagine you coaching and we kind of <laughs> laughed and joked about it but I actually really enjoyed it and I spent eight years there uh, and it was you know, I know you talk about your cups of coffee and, and that's probably slightly different, but it was, it was really, um, I, I, I find myself looking back thinking I was really lucky. And this 
you know, the, the club director back then, he was very, very strict. He had very high standards and I didn't always agree with him. He wasn't easy to work for, but I look back and see myself now how important it was that I had that example back then. Um, I spent eight years at Derby doing pretty much every single job going from the under, well, I didn't do 10s, but I did 11s all the way up to the 17s. Um, and I really enjoyed it. And that was probably the time for me where I thought, this is what I want to do. I want to coach. And, you know, the, the problem was that in England, you do it twice a week uh, in the evening and you play on a Saturday and it never in my lifetime looked like it would ever go full time in terms of the youth setup. Um so I guess the first eight years, you know, it was working with really good players, talented players. It was players in the England talent pathway. Um, was it was it your full time job at the time, or did you? No, have no. A... So I was only I was only sixteen at the time. So I was um, at college. So I was doing yeah. that. I was at college in the day, and then um, coaching in the evening. I spent my whole time at university. I went to Derby University to ensure I could continue my job there because I loved it, uh, and I, and I did those. I spent three years. Uh, whilst I was at uni coaching in the evening as well again doing pretty you're much. saying you couldn't even because that was the case even at 16 it was hard to envision this being a full-time job yeah it, that just, nature just with it, yeah. funding and um you know the way women's football was it was it was just ran like a, a grassroots club to be honest with you it was you know two nights a week we had you know more staff than you would have in a grassroots club and it was obviously better organized but it, that's in terms of the, the timings you have with the players that's pretty much what it was so um, after I finished uni, I applied for a full-time job in Manchester, which I got at Manchester FA. So it's about two hours, two and a half hours from, from Derby. So I had to leave and I was gutted, but it was, I knew it was a, it would be a big step for me. And I knew if I wanted to coach what I did part-time, you know, around my full-time job, I needed to be a good club that I'd be supported. Um, and luckily enough, there was a, an under 17 assistant coach while going at Liverpool so I applied for that and got it within three days of, of getting my full-time job. So that was really exciting. And I felt lucky, like my stars had aligned probably a little bit. And uh, mm -hmm. I spent three really, really brilliant years at Liverpool, to be honest. I went in as an assistant at the 17s and I ended up as an assistant under-23s coach. And I was really, that was the club for me where I worked with some really, really excellent coaches. I learned so much in my time there. We... Um, you know, we had exposure to, to watching first team sessions and that was my first real, I guess, exposure myself to, you know, the big club, you know, Liverpool, mm -hmm. the best team in women's football in England at the time. Um, so to have exposure to that and work with the coaches I did was, I was really lucky. Um, and then after, after my what three What would you years, say, before we leave Liverpool, what, what is, um, what would you say is, uh, I'll make a note so we get back to this part of your journey story, but um what are some of the things you learned from your time at Liverpool that you still use today? A lot of it was around um, just technical detail, technical work. I think you, you only ever know what you know, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. And I think, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I was really lucky. I was an assistant to somebody who worked in the boys' academy. He was a, a foundation phase and a youth development phase coach in the boys' academy. And his detail was unbelievable. Um, and that he was real massive on development and you know individual development how you build that into your team sessions and I learned so much working for him or working you know with him and then I worked with uh, Vicky Jepson who is now the Liverpool women's first team manager uh, at the under 23s as it was then and and that was completely different but again another experience where I learned so much because that was around developing players for the first team environment you know that was our job but we also wanted to win as well and it was building that into our into our team and into our training and um, she was brilliant in terms of man management, man managing staff, man managing players, managing expectations and making sure things were really black and white. Um, so I learned a lot from, from my time there as well. And uh, it, it, you know, How do you do, I'll say this too, because on that point you mentioned, you know, they're massive on development and you want to win. And that is the biggest, in my experience, I'm not trying to make a black and white comparison between the United States and England. And in terms of my experience in youth development with athletics, there does seem to be more of a focus on the winning side of things here, even at the youth level. Um, I'm talking third grader, so for us, what is that? I don't know, 10, 11 years old. Uh, and, um, you know, so how do you, how do you have that? What does the balance look like effectively where you have massive focus on development and you're also winning as a club? I think the, the challenge is, I think, if I'm honest, we, went, we probably, as a country, went too far the wrong way. I think we, you know, winning became a dirty word and I think, 
you know, no matter what you say, kids play sport because they're competitive. Uh, and as people, we're competitive. We want to win. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think it's just really important that it's mapped out really early. What is success? What does success mean for this team this year? What does success mean for you as an individual? And if it's only three points on a Saturday, then that's quite sad, you know, because you're missing out on a hell of a lot of, of, of opportunity this season. So it was making sure that, you know, we wanted to win and winning was important, but not at the expense of, you know, player development or team targets or individual targets that were set throughout, you know, the season or, or, or throughout, you know, a said period of time. Um, and it was that simple, to be honest, that we made sure that winning wasn't everything, but wanting to win was. So we did everything we could to win the game, but we wouldn't go away from our game model or, um, you know, developing players individually because ultimately success for us in that environment was transitioning players to the first team. We could win every game we wanted in the world, but if we weren't getting players into the first team, our heads were on the block. Um, mm -hmm. So it, it was it was quite straightforward, to be honest. Yeah, when I like that line, winning wasn't everything and wanting to win is, yeah. is still because it's that hunger that drive and you like you said there's still a clear directive of getting kids to the next you know to the, to the first team which inherently involves development i think the 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 line gets fuzzy here because the goal of maybe a high school club program is to get a kid recruited to play at a college and to go play at college there's so many other variables that are in play in terms of your grades, in terms of where you want to go to school, in terms of what level you want to play, in terms of if that team needs what you're bringing. You know, maybe you're a fantastic goalie and they don't need a goalie, but that's where you want to go. There's so much into it. Whereas it seems like a little bit more cut and dry for you guys. It's like, hey, our goal is to want to win and your goal as an individual is to get to the first team. That's mm -hmm. it. Make that clear. Cool. Awesome. Well, I, I cut in on you. So, uh, so you, you, that's what you learned at Liverpool, worked with some of those awesome coaches. And then, so maybe, I don't know if you were done with your Liverpool side of the story, but then where do you, how's yeah, that story? So going? I, was, I was approached at the end of that year to go and head up the program at Manchester city. Um, so leading on their under 21 program, which, uh, was exciting. It was the first time I would lead the program at, at that age group. So, um, I took that role and it was, to be honest, a real challenging season for numerous reasons. But, um, you know, I'd, I was working full-time for the FA at the time in the High Performance Centre, which was a regional role. There was eight of us in the country. It was, they were only launched the, the, the month I got the job. So it was um, a very, very big job. <laughs> um, Man City tried to, to make the programme as full-time as possible. It, they were only part-time back then. So it was four days a week, um, match days on a Wednesday. So, you know, fitting that round a full-time job and also working on the regional camps with England was, it was just, I was struggling to juggle everything, to be honest with you. Um, and that was probably a time when I look back and I think I did everything I, I could at the time, but I look back and I think I probably, that was probably a time where my coaching suffered because I just spent my days juggling a million and one things. And, um, you know, I went away from what I was about. I loved planning sessions. I loved you know individualizing parts of sessions for players and I found myself driving to to the training ground thinking what am I going to do tonight and I realized how far away I'd come from where I'd been previously um but like I said it didn't pay the bills you know I, I had to have mm -hmm. a full-time job I had to pay the bills so that was probably a bit of a soul-searching year um challenging year in terms of you know they were new on the women's on the women's scene as well so you know they were not as well established as other clubs, but again, full of, you know, really good people in the youth section and, uh, you know, a, a, another good opportunity for me to learn as I went along. Um, so I did, I did one season there um, off the back of that season. Uh, this was a, a cup of coffee moment, as you would call it. So I mm -hmm. uh, had a conversation with a, a former Liverpool player who she contacted me around the, the academy manager role and head coach role for Man United. So she, she played at Liverpool at the time that I was there and then um, is now obviously manager of, of Manchester United Women. So I had a conversation with her around um, heading up the academy, being head coach for the under-21s and it being a full-time role. So it was kind of everything that, you know, my 16-year-old self had dreamed of when I was at Derby, mm -hmm. thinking it would never be an opportunity to do that. And, you know, there was a couple of key questions I had around, well, okay, great, we want it to be, you know, a full-time role. What's it going to look like? 
is there going to be an emphasis on getting players into the first team? Because I think that's so important in the role that we have. If it's such a hard role and it's it's incredibly busy and um, you know there's a 101 challenges every single day. So ultimately, if if we're going to go and spend not millions but hundreds of thousands on um, you know players from from other countries consistently every single transfer window, you know are we going to get youth players through the pathway? So these were all kind of questions I had and. You know, I, I knew how much Casey cared about the youth section. I remember when I was at Liverpool uh, with the 23, she'd come down. She was doing a, a Ray licence the same time as me and she'd come and deliver sessions. And I knew she cared about the kids. And that's that's all you can ask for from a first team manager. So it was, you know, an exciting opportunity that um, I was really looking forward, for, forward to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny. You know, this is completely unrelated to the, the culture questions I have. That you talk <laughs> about, uh, you talk about, you know, someone presenting you with an opportunity that's kind of a, a dream job, right? That you didn't even know existed. And yeah. in my head, you know, these opportunities come and a lot of times the financial question gets brought up, like how much do you want to get paid? And it's always a tough situation because it's like, I mean, I would do this for free, right? Yeah. <laughs> but you kind of got to figure out all the dynamics and logistics. And that's really cool that, like you said, you know, it didn't uh, even exist when you were kind of a kid, right? Yeah. First thinking of some of this stuff. Um, so, so you, you come on and one of the things, you know, I, I made the joke earlier uh, before we hit record that we would have saved time if we just recorded Marty's session because I wanted you to share your intro and there was so much good stuff. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Marty Beals, the head coach of University of Richmond, has organized the Zoom meeting uh, for a lot of us as coaches and, and you presented. Charlotte, you presented kind of the culture that you have created at Manchester United. And one of the lines I wrote down is um, the goal is to make Manchester United the most successful talent development team in the country. And that, as far as I understood, it kind of informed a lot of what you talked about. What I thought was interesting is how you did have the foundation of certainly the men's program and the boys Academy program. And there's certainly things you're going to do differently. So, um, that's, it's, it's a big question, but that's kind of, you know, uh, uh, the broad question I have is just kind of take us through. So from day one, what were you doing, you know, to create this foundational talent? Because I think, again, there's a lot of programs here, and I hope there's a lot of listeners who have the mindset of, I'd like to create a talent development academy tech program here in the States. And here in the States, it would be entirely different, right? The, the easy non-risky thing to do would say I'm going to create a club program and we're going to get you recruited to college right that's what everybody promises that's what parents want to see and the bold thing to do in my opinion would be able to say we're going to create an academy program that focuses on talent development so how did you do that essentially starting not necessarily from scratch but essentially from scratch yeah I think obviously when I came into the job there was a 10 to 16s program that was already really well established and the first thing that hit me when I when I went in on my first day at Manchester United to meet the staff before I started my role was was the environment it you know it really hit me everyone was kind and you know wanted to speak hello obviously a couple of players I'd known from previous and it just had a real nice feel factor around it um so already I knew that I knew kind of the direction we were heading I knew when we bought the 21s in um, we needed to to put a fork in the ground and know what we were going after. I think was really important. Uh, and you know the line that that, I, that you refer to that you know we want to be the best talent development program in the country. I'm sure you know a hundred thousand other clubs do as well. And I think that's that's probably the key part of it. Is it's just words. It really is just words. But what's important is the context you put behind it. So when we talk about, and I can only talk for the under 21s because that's what I lead on, but mm-hmm. for me, talent development in terms of the 16s to 21s, that's not just on the pitch and it's not just the football. It's what do you want to do in your career? You know, is our programme at 16s to 21s supporting you in your dreams and your aspirations? Because, you know, <laughs> at 30 years old, you're probably going to be looking to retire 30, 35 years old. What are you going to do for the, for the rest of your 35 years? We didn't want you to then have to go and spend five years in, in a college program. So it was really important that when we spoke around our goals at the 21s, it was, okay, well, we need to make sure we support players on the pitch because ultimately we want them to play for Man United women. But we also know that, you know, 85, 90% of the players aren't going to do that. So if our program is only servicing 10% of players, what are we doing for the other 90%? 
So for me, it was just really important that we, we knew where we were going. We knew what we wanted to do. We want a holistic program that develops life skills. It develops, um, you know, people to have confidence and speak in front of people and present and do everything that they'll need to do to support them in life. And if they can go on and play for Manchester United, absolutely fantastic. Um, you know, that's, of course, always the game. But we also know, like I say, that you know, there's probably 90% of players in our programme that won't do that. So we have to make sure that we are more than just a programme that wants to get players into the first team. And what are you doing then? In order, so, you know, because obviously, you know, we could talk probably an entire podcast about the technical talent development side of things. And like you said, 85 to 90% of players will most likely not play, let alone for Man U, but soccer, the rest of football, the rest of their life. And so... Um, what are some of those things you're doing actively to ensure you're building up the person off the pitch? So we have um, we have a number of things really. So obviously our players are in a full time program. So they're in college nine till three, and then they train with us. They have different workshops. So they have a, a, a diploma in sport and exercise program. It's called. So that's um, around like finance and you know some a bit on mental health, a bit around. Um, you know, understanding health and safety and just all the things that um, you wouldn't normally get in a normal college program. They then have, um, we have a wellbeing coach. So she's external to the club. She works from under 10s all the way through to the first team. And we basically sat down at the start of the year and it was a kind of a case of, okay, we want every single player that comes through this program to have a, a, a really good experience and to always go away and remember at Manchester United, we looked after them as a, as a person. So we kind of went away and put things together around, okay, what do they need to support the performance on the pitch? And what do they need to support their development off the pitch? So, you know, they have, I think they've had 18 workshops across the course of the year. So some of it is on psychology. Some of it is on wellbeing. Some of it is on the culture and the environment. Some of it is on things like gratitude. Some of it is um, where we test them and, and, um, you know, make them stand up and present or go and research something and come back and deliver it, do work in uni, whatever it might be, just things that they wouldn't normally do in a normal setting. But we feel that throughout their life would be important to them. Um, mm -hmm. And a, a big part of it is making sure the education is a huge part of my role, to be honest, in terms of making sure players, certainly at the start and end of the year, are in college, they're studying a course that they want to do, that they're not doing something that, we're saying, well, you need to come to this college and study this. I don't think that's fair. I don't think we can say that. Um, so it's working with colleges to make sure that the programme fits. And, you know, we're giving players the opportunity to go where they want, study what they want um, and develop as people and, and hopefully footballers as well. Yeah, I know you've talked about the well-being coach on the call that we had. And uh, I love that that's a priority. Um, I work with, so I work with a lot of teams, primarily university, college teams. But um, for the, in the past year and a half, uh, I have started to work with more what I would call youth programs. So like you know, uh, high, school, high school students. And last year I worked with a club volleyball team all you know high school students are about ready to get into their senior last year of school and um the program that we do it's a pretty long day and and we're, you mentioned you know the skills of public speaking and presenting we use public speaking as our tool to get students athletes out of their comfort zone and also create confidence in front of their peers right number one fear for most people is public speaking number one because we don't trust ourselves number two we don't trust the people in our audience and so it's it's we're going to get you up i'm going to teach you how to present with with presence with with power with enthusiasm with confidence you name it and facilitate so we're doing this whole thing and i start you know we do kind of a takeaway what, what are some takeaways and and the players kept using the word stress how stressful it was. And I believe the way you do anything is the way you do everything. So we unpack that even more to say, okay, so let's talk about your daily life. Like out of this training, what is life? Well, life is stressful. School is stressful. Sports are stressful. And these are kids, right? These are 16, 17 year old kids playing a sport. And, and so I did say to them, I go, is, is volleyball, like, is this program fun for you? And they were kind of quiet. Right. And it's like, well, sure like it wasn't like an excited yes and it was really that particular team was the first 
I would call elite high school program I'd worked with. I've, I've worked with young kids for years, but this is the first elite program. And the fact that they had kind of resigned themselves to this reality that volleyball isn't fun anymore. It's a job. They like it as they, one of the players said this, they go, it's almost like a job that you love and you're passionate about. And if you have snow day, you're still excited about the snow day. If you get a day off, you're still excited about the day off. Like if you could get paid and not work, still choose that option and in my head I was like I remember like even if we had a snow day I'd go up to the I played lacrosse I'd go up I'd shovel the the turf and still shoot just because I loved the game and I think a lot of kids at least here are losing that love of the game and so I think you know you look at a well-being coach and everything you're doing teaching them those things is great and my opinion it's ensuring that you still just enjoy this. Like if you are chosen and have the opportunity to compete with a Manchester United program, like that should be a dream. That should be joy. That should be fun. It shouldn't be some grind that you're just doing, hoping you make some first team someday. Um, do you find, is that part, like that has become a big part of my work is kind of getting players to, and coaches too. That's where coach training has come about for me is, ensuring that coaches are are running programs with in mind and fun doesn't mean you're screwing around and not working hard it can be really fun to work hard it can be really fun to be great like you said earlier about winning it's not any fun if you're losing every game uh so winning is important and you know what do you get what do you find the balance is because i'm sure a lot of these players are yes 85 to 90 percent won't play for your first team but they don't know that right they don't think that way uh what is their mentality what is their grind are do you get players that are just kind of trying to make it to the next level or do you find a sense of just joy and fun with it i think i think the key thing or the for me the most important thing that we did was we gave players a voice so you know we have a a, a leadership group but we also have one-to-ones with players all the time and in every one of those one-to-ones my last question is always to them you know what do we enjoy most about the program? How do we make it better for you? And I think that's so important because, you know, our job is to support these players in what is probably the most difficult and, you know, the word you use, stressful time of their lives. So are we supporting them in education? Are we supporting them on the pitch? Are we challenging them? Are we making sure it's 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 hard and there's bumps, but are we providing the safety net they need? And the only way you find that out is by asking players. And I think that's you know, I'm, I think that's very black and white. I think if you run a program and you don't have those conversations with players, how do you know? Because you're not in it. You know, your staff aren't in it. And I always say to the players, you know, I'm I'm not precious about this answer. What's important is that you're honest because as staff, I think we work incredibly hard to run the best program that we possibly can for these players. And if we're not doing that or we're missing a trick or there's something that they need in addition or something that they really don't like, you know, we can discuss that as staff. And if we can tweak it and make it more beneficial for them we will always do that and uh, I think once we once they saw very early on so Christmas was probably the time we did it as a group so I asked them all as individuals but at Christmas we did like a, a mid-season review and there was you know two things that came up and we were able to build them both into our program and once the once the players came back after Christmas and they saw we had done that you know they're happy. They're they're really grateful because they know that you've taken on board what they've what they've suggested and what they want. Um, of course, there's things that they might want that we can't build into the program, but where we can, we will because you know, like I said, it's their voice and the program is to to support and develop them. So if we can help them in, in along the way, we will definitely do that. How often do you have those one-on-ones where you ask that specific question? I have to, I meet with every player every six weeks. So it's just built okay. in the calendar. So I'll probably meet with two or three players per week. Um, probably, well, yeah, around three players a week, depending what and we what, So I have two questions. Number one, I was going to ask, uh, what are, so specifically to what do you enjoy the most about the program? I'd love to know what some of those answers were. And then I'd love to know, you said there were two things you did implement after in the new year. Uh, that'd be cool to know that. So what, what, going back to the first one though, what, um, what are some of the things that come up when you ask, what do you enjoy most about the program? They all say training full time and playing full every single day. That's what they love. Um, the, the fact that they know the plan. So it's, it's something really little. We have a Google calendar and mm-hmm. the schedule is on there. It updates, they get it on their phone. They love that. They love being able to see the schedule. Something that I didn't think would be that important to them. Nearly every single player said it. Um, mm-hmm. The fact that they know, so we work off um, an annual plan that I'd, I've wrote at the start of the season in terms of like a tech tech plan. So what what's the technical session every game, every session? 
um, what is the theme of every session and why. Uh, and they know that and they like that. So they know, okay, this week is in possession. Next week is defensive transition. And the sessions that they're doing within that, they like that. They like knowing. They like the um, variety of that. They they love the match prep session. So match day minus one is always analysis. And um, they like that. They like you know learning about the opposition and obviously preparing um, in the same way that the first team will prepare for a match day. Mm-hmm. And what are some of the things you've, you've learned where they say this could be, you know, what I would like to see, or maybe even those two that you implemented? Yeah. So the two things were one was, so on a Saturday morning um, is our big session. So it's, we, we play on Wednesday. So Saturday is like middle of the week for us. So they're in early, they have a, a pre-act session, they have a big pitch session, and then they have a bit of time before analysis. And what they wanted to do on that day was play some small sided games in these two like seven aside pitches. So they wanted to play tight area, small pitch, um, competitive half an hour. So we said, yes, we, we play three, three, eight minutes we play. Um, and they love that. It's competitive. It's brutal. We had to bring a rule in that they have to wear shin pads for that session. But they love that. It's, you know, it's competitive. It's a blow for them. Um, and we didn't see a reason why we couldn't do that. So we, we built that yeah. in for and the second was uh, completely different, but as to Thursday is that normally their day off. Well, it is every Thursday is their day off. And as staff, that's probably the day that we catch up on everything. You know, if we've had meetings that we don't normally, um, wouldn't normally be able to get to or, you know, whatever it is, Thursday, we tend to be doing a lot of admin stuff. And they actually asked to not be contacted on that Thursday. So they got a complete day off. Um, so we built that into the program too. We made sure that anything that they need, they get before the match on a Wednesday and, you know, anything else can be, can be given to them on Friday. So they get that full day off and that, you know, mental break from us as well. And um, we actually then built that in for the staff as well, which I think was really important. So we do Thursdays and Sundays for staff as well, where we don't, um, or where possible, it's, it's not strict with staff, it's players, but where we can, we try and make sure that staff and players get a break on, on the Thursday. That's brilliant. I think uh, two things. Number one, uh, TJ Buchanan is a, a future guest on the podcast who we already recorded our interview, but, and he is a huge proponent in the world of lacrosse, mainly all athlete development, but he used to work for U.S. lacrosse. He now works for World Lacrosse, and he's a big proponent of small-sided games. So he's going to love the fact that that's what the players asked for, was yeah. we want small-sided games. It's fun. It's competitive. You get after it. And it's great for development. Like the research is really showing that, um, especially at younger and younger ages, even at the ages you're working with. And then number two, the fact that the players asked not to be contacted. I love that because it's so true, especially with um, cell phones now and smartphones. It's like you can receive an email on a Saturday or a Thursday for you. And maybe you're not expected to respond to it, but you still see it. You still get it, right? Like you're still, you're still having that contact and not a complete kind of separation from from your sport your work your whatever so I think it's cool to ask for that and kudos to you guys for for implementing for doing it because hands down the best coaches that I work with are the ones that do exactly what you're talking about right now ask questions listen and implement it doesn't mean you can do all of it. it doesn't mean you can do everything and when you implement some things that gives you so much credibility that when you look at them and say we can't do this my experience shows they'll accept it because it's like, well, we know you're willing to do to listen to us. So we'll believe you when you say you can't do something. That's awesome. Um, So I did, you know, uh, other than that, you know, you kind of went through um, what I would call like your mission kind of values kind of thing. That's almost exactly what you called it. My notes are probably not exactly what you said, Um, but you talked about like, I guess talk about some of that stuff. The a vision values environment. Is that what it was? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, uh, so if you could go through that process, I know you don't have your PowerPoint in front of you, but just kind of like uh, a bird's eye view, big level thinking, what was the process of putting together your vision values and environment and why kind of what was your intentionality behind it? Yeah, I think, um, you know, the, it, the, the vision and, and the values probably were different in terms of the first team and then the, the development program, because obviously the, the vision for the, for the first team is to be successful on the pitch. That's what they want. Um, but the, the tagline that they came up with was united as one to win and inspire. So they wanted to win. They wanted to be together, but they also wanted to inspire the next generation. And that, you know, was, was amazing for me to walk in and hear that, that that was what they wanted. 
um, because it definitely gave us a platform to grow on. So when we were kind of putting our blueprint together, it was, okay, what do we want as a youth section? And, you know, I've, I've probably spoken about most of it really in terms of, you know, what are we going to hang our hat on? What is it we're going to say we're going to do? You know, we said we want to be the best talent development program in the, in the country. Um, but then it was, it was the detail underneath us. So how are we going to do it? How are we going to measure it? And to be the best talent development program in the country, it can't always be how many players are you going to get into the first team because there's more ways to measure your talent development program than that. Um, so that was when we spoke about, you know, the holistic program that we would offer. Can we develop life skills? Can we, you know, they have cooking lessons. So we're helping them, you know, learn to cook different things like that, where we're making sure in every aspect of their life that we're supporting their development, um, not just at football. So they were kind of the, that was our way of saying, okay, this is what we want to do. And this is how we're going to measure it. Um, in terms of the values, they were actually set by the players, the, the first team players, so they, you know, the three values that, that they came up with were selfless, courageous, and relentless. And they were three things that they wanted to be known by. That was what, you know, they were going to hang their hat on, if you like, and say, you know, when you come into a Man United environment or you watch us play, this is what you're going to see. Um, and it was really important that we were able to then filter that down the pathway. So we've done a lot of work this season on, okay, what does it look like to be courageous? What does it look like to be you know, relentless and say it to people all the time. They're just words unless you action them. So, you know, you, you could have our blueprint, but actually it's how you bring it to life is what's important. So uh, I think I said this when I, I was talking to Marty that we had a real tough time from September to Christmas because we were the youngest team in the league by over a year. Um, it was the girls' first time in, in, in that level of competition. So, you know, I think we went four games where we, we didn't play particularly bad, but we couldn't pick up results. We were leaking goals. We, you know, we weren't scoring in the box and it was really tough because the girls were working incredibly hard. It was a full-time program for them. They were shattered because it was Christmas. And that was a really, really good opportunity. And probably what spun our season where myself and the wellbeing coach got together and, and we delivered this workshop with the girls. And it was like, this is where you see your character. You know, this is where we see if you are courageous. This is where we see if you are relentless. You know, when you've got no confidence, nothing's coming off for you. Are you courageous enough to go and get on the ball? You know, when you feel like giving up, you're 2 all down with 20 minutes to go. Are you relentless enough to keep going? Because anybody can be those things when things are easy, but you, you the measure of those values is when it's tough. And I remember we were 2 all down to Arsenal with four minutes to go. Um, our keeper had gone off with concussion. We had an outfield player in goal. And we scored two goals in the last four minutes. And that I said to the girls in the huddle after that game, this will define our season because you show me now that you are those three things. Um, and the key thing for us was, was building the language into every day. So it was important that when they showed those, those values, they were spoke about and they were praised in, in the team talk, in the match preps, in training sessions. We had to build it into every single day so they could recognise. And then when you praise them, they acted on it. So that was definitely a turning point for us um, around Christmas in terms of the values and probably a real good way of explaining how we brought them to life. Um, and then in terms of the environment, I mean, again, you know, what's in the blueprint, it is just words, but it's around, you know, we want to make sure that we support players' wellbeing. Why? Because it's the foundation for the performance. You don't look after the person, you don't get the player. And it's, it's literally as simple as that. And it was, you know, our way of saying, we're going to support players holistically. We're going to push you. There's going to be challenges. It's going to be hard but we're going to be a safety net and it's okay to, to feel like there's bumps in the road because for a talent development environment, there has to be. And if there isn't, we'll put them in for you because you have to feel mm. that. But until you physically feel the bump, you're not expecting it. You don't know how to deal with it. So when the bump comes, don't worry. Like we're here, this is how we're going to support. And this is what we do to, um, you know, support the wellbeing of players. So it's nothing groundbreaking, I don't think. It's it's knowing your players, caring about your players, challenging your players and, and giving them an opportunity to be successful, but also setting them up to fail a little bit as well, as long as you have the safety net underneath to support them. How do you... So it's, I, I just did... Um, last night, I spoke to a, a graduate class of strength and conditioning coaches. And then this morning, I spoke to a bank and delivered the same exact message. And the message was... Um, 
in, uh, there's a book called The Art of Exceptionalism by the author Jim Rohn. And in the book, he uses the analogy of uh, a tree in nature needs sun and rain in order to grow. If a tree in nature only has sunshine, it becomes brittle, easily broken. A storm comes through the forest, it's ripped from its roots. And if it only gets rain, it's overwhelmed by it, it can take it anymore, it's out. And he said the same is true for us, right? If we as humans only get sunshine and positivity and easy street, no bumps in the road, then when, when a challenge comes, when a storm comes, we don't have those deep, strong roots. We're, we're easily toppled. And if all we get is bumps in the road, challenge, pushback, and you can do more, you can do better, then that's constant rain. We get drowned out by it. We get better. We get cynical. We don't take on challenge anymore. And yeah. so in order to grow, we need both. We need the sun and the rain in order to grow. I was sharing this message right now in terms of not trying to paint the current situation in a positive light. It, I, don't, I don't think this was meant to happen for anyone. My belief is that this is some of that rain for us to grow. This is challenge. This is adversity that's going us grow. And you meant putting bumps in the road to help them. That's part of a high performance environment is creating some bumps in the road. How do you do that in your environment? You've talked a lot about well-being and, and how you're doing to create the sunshine for players. How do you intentionally create some of that rain for players to build that resiliency? I think it's probably the most difficult thing, to be honest with you, within the environment. I think we went into, me and our, our well-being coach actually laugh about this quite a lot, that we went into the season thinking, you know, we're going to have to create bumps in the road for them. But what we actually found was there were so many bumps and we found ourselves doing the opposite. You know, we were actually spending more of our time supporting them. Um, but, you know, I completely agree. If you don't have those bumps in the road, we're not preparing you to go and play in first team environments. And, um, you know, it's our first team manager spoke about it a lot when, you know, all of a sudden she, you know, she pulls this team together and there's, there's the best players, best young players, you know, within the England setup and, you ultimately can only pick 11, only 11 players can start the game, no matter what, you know, what club you play for. So all of a sudden, you know, you've got players now who are sat on a bench and they're not used to sitting on the bench. So how do you support them in that? Because that's a bump, you know, well, we have players who go to the first team and they, they, they don't play for us. So they come back down. They want to be with the first team. How do you deal with that? You know, and it, I think the, the most important thing when, you, when you're putting bumps in the road for players, you have to know your players. So one bump for somebody can't be the same bump for somebody else. It's, we, we wouldn't, well, we haven't, that I can think of off the top of my head, ever put a bump in the road for the whole team because every single player is different. And for me, that's really important because, you know, one bump might support somebody's development. Another bump might really kill somebody's development. Mm -hmm. So I think that was really important around, okay, whatever situation they face, it's about firstly taking a step back and analyzing how are they going to deal with this? Um, do we take a step back and let them figure it out for themselves or do we go in with our safety net and make sure we're supporting them? And I think this falls in against for everything, but the big thing for me is, like I said, until they really feel the bump, they don't know what one is. Um, yeah. So I think it's really difficult. I think there's, there's numerous ways, you, you, there's numerous things you can do in terms of testing and challenging players of, um, you know, the, the biggest one and the toughest one for players for us has been when they've been in with the first team and then coming back down or whether it's been um, consistently not starting games because we don't, we don't do equal playing time. And sometimes somebody might not be doing anything wrong, but they're not playing better than the person who's currently got their shirt. So actually it's around your bump in the road is to, con is to get through this period of time. And it might not be a week or two. It might be five or six weeks. So that is a bump that you can't just do one thing to get over that. So you've got to consistently dig away at it. And it's around, for us, was stepping back and seeing, okay, how is player A dealing with this? What do they need from us? How is player B? So player A, for, for example, you might actually look and think, do you know what? This is really, really like affecting their well-being. So it might be, do you know what? Well, actually, we're just going to have to put them in um, and give them an opportunity to play because that's what they need right now. For other players, it might be, well, do you know what? This player is actually on the brink of the first team. And there's going to be times where they're not going to play for five, six, seven weeks. So we're not going to play them for five, six, seven weeks here because we need them to feel that bump and know what it feels like because our job ultimately is to prepare them to go and play in a first team environment. If we play them 90 minutes every week and they don't know what it feels like to have to sit on the bench, consistently sit on the bench, we're not supporting their development. So this falls in a guess because, listen, if you don't play someone for six or seven weeks, you're arguably you're hindering their development. So it's around... 
It might be that we don't start them, but they always come on because when you're in a first team environment, that's what you're going to do. Can you come on? Can you make an impact for 30 minutes, 20 minutes, 10 minutes, whatever it might be? Um, but it's without a doubt, I think the most challenging part of the role. Well, what I love about your answer is there's no one size fits all. There's no slick answer. There's no easy answer. The reality is, uh, you know, it's, it goes back to what you said earlier of consistently meeting with your as a group and one-on-one, -on -one. you said it earlier is the most important thing you do. And that is true in this answer too. knowing, you know, one solution, a bump for one person is not the same bump for another. And a solution for one person is not the same solution for another. One of my other podcast guests is Joe Segula. He's the head coach for University of North Carolina women's volleyball. And he had a great line where he said, you know, people don't want to be treated like everyone else. They want to be treated fair. And, and, and fair to them is different from fair to somebody else. And so that, and I, I've said this before on the call that we have you know everyone's trying to figure out we're all sharing our best practices of culture and leadership development and Marty asked me one time you know you said Bobby you work with a lot of teams what is what is kind of your take on this and I go my take on this is exactly what just happened we got 30 people on the call and we probably got 15 different opinions and answers about this stuff yeah. and that's the truth there is no one size fits all there's no secret sauce I say that all the time uh, it is, if anything, the secret sauce is getting to know your players and knowing them as, as a human being, not just as a, a football player. I love it. Um, I got one more technical culture question for it, and then one more, and then my final question. I want to respect your time. Um, I loved the line you had in the call about calling up versus calling out. Um, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about, about that? Yeah, so we speak a lot around um, supporting, or well, we have a, a cultural group that kind of safeguard the culture and the environment that we want. So we we share that with the players very early on. This is, you know, the values we want to live by. This is what they look like. This is the environment we need to create for, to allow players to feel safe, to try things, to, to fail, because that will happen at some point. Um, so... I guess the calling up versus calling out is we want players to check and challenge each other. That's really important in any high performance environment. If somebody steps out of line or falls below those standards, we want players to, to challenge that. And that's really difficult for 16 and 17 year old girls. So, you know, in a group that barely spoke when we first got them, all of a sudden now they see the value in, in the environment, the environment, the, the value, sorry, in, in stick, you know, sticking by those standards and making sure that they they only ever go above them. Um, but what we want to make sure is that when people do fall below them, because people always will, they you know you'll never go through a season where nobody falls below your standards. And if they do, I'm not sure kind of what talent development environment it is because it's supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be challenging. So if you if you set your stakes high, you have to be prepared for players to fall below that. So what we spoke around with the players was if somebody falls below those standards, don't call them out in front of the group and shame them for it because somebody might say something or they might do something. And, you know, if you did something that I didn't like and I shamed you in front of the group, I'll say, you know, Bobby, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever I would say. And I made you feel embarrassed or I upset you or I shamed you. You may never speak again for the rest of the year. You know, that will go two ways. You either don't speak for the rest of the year or you tell me where to go, not very nice, which still affects the environment. So it was really important that we could find a way where we were comfortable in challenging each other, but we were also comfortable in being challenged. So that was kind of where the calling up versus calling out came from, that we wanted to be called up to make sure that we, we were reminded of the standards and the behaviours that we expected of each other, but we weren't calling you out in front of your mates and making you feel, um, you know, shamed. Mm -hmm. I love that. It goes back to just being conscious and cognizant of the person, of the individual, of what they need to, to be successful and thrive. And you're empowering your players to do it. You're teaching your players, this is how we're going to talk to each other. Quickly, uh, I'm sure there's other coaches that do it. Um, but in my experience, I've never heard a coach talk about it the way you do in terms of this is how we teach our players not only what's acceptable, but what's expected when it comes to giving feedback and, and supporting your players on the, on the field. I go back to what you said to start the call. That's going to help them be great athletes, and that's going to help them the rest of their life. That's when they're 40 years old, they're still going to give colleagues 
back like and it's because they went through the Manchester United Development Program and I think that is a true testament of, of a powerful culture when you go through that and you live that for the rest of your life so I, that was that was one of my favorite things um, so my final question it is the fifth copy podcast the theme is what we're doing right connecting being chatting uh, for just to learn, to, to get a perspective, understanding, maybe a little growth and development. And um, I have found that, like you mentioned earlier, you know, it's sometimes those you know, interactions that sitting out coffee or whatever that, that led to a job or position that you didn't even know existed or, or um, so I always like to say, what is, do you have a cool 50 cups to coffee store? Maybe it's one you already shared, uh, or is there another one that just comes to mind of a 50 cups of coffee story for yourself? Yeah, I thought about this really long and hard. And I think the best answer I can give is that there's not one that stands out. Um, I think when I worked for the FA, the, the 50 cups of coffee was more of a, <laughs> it wasn't a metaphor. It was physical. I think in that role, I was really <laughs> looking to get out and meet so many amazing people. Um, I was a coach development officer in the high performance center for the FA and that meant going and supporting coaches across the pathway um, going in, you know, looking at their environment, what they do and, and supporting in that way and hearing what they do. So, um, you know, the opportunity to bounce and share ideas off that, I think going and meeting those people that has without a doubt led me to where I am today. I think, you know, I'm a real firm believer that nobody in football writes everything themselves from scratch and why would you? Because there's so many good things out there. Um, so for me, it's in my coaching career, it's been around getting a range of different ideas and always bringing it back to your own context. I think that's the key thing. And I've, I've probably spoke around that a lot today. But um, as an example, um, I spoke to a, an academy manager at a different WSL club um, yesterday. And she's doing the same thing as me at the minute, writing a blueprint, trying to connect a youth section to the first team. And we spoke for hours and hours over the past couple of weeks around, you know, what it looks like. We've shared different plans. We've shared ideas. I've sent her mine. She sent me hers. And we've kind of pulled it apart. And some people, I think, are really, um, you know, they don't want to share it. They want to keep it because that's our work. But I think it means nothing. It's just words on paper unless you bring it to life. So, you know, her, her blueprint and the, their club is very different to mine but it doesn't mean I can't learn anything from, from it. So, you know, I always listen to her. She's, she's, she's absolutely brilliant and I hear things, but my question to myself is always, I really like that. What would that look like in our context? Because I think if you try and do everything that everybody does, you end up being so far away from your own goal um, and what you're trying to do. So I think the best thing for me is, was being able to, to, I've said this a few times, but stick a fork in the ground and say, right, this is us. This is what we're going after. Um, and then everything you hear and the conversations you have with people, you can pick different bits up from them, but then you bring it back to your context. How does this build or add value or even challenge something we're doing? But I think if you don't have that, it becomes very difficult and you just become a bit of everybody. Um, so I'm a firm believer that you can learn something off absolutely everybody. Um, and I certainly have done that. So to answer your, your question around 50 cups of coffee, I would, you know, any physical or virtual, probably the last physical and virtual 50 cups of coffee I've had, I would say I've learned and taken bits off so many different people. And certainly, you know, during this lockdown period, there's been plenty of virtual conversations. But I think, you know, it is exactly that. What are people doing? You know, what have they learned? What have they found? And can that add value to the program that we're trying to run? But it, it goes back to everything that I've already said. As long as it's in our context and I can relate it back, then we can either implement it or challenge something that we're already doing. And for me, that would only only benefit the program. Love it. I love two things specifically about what you said. Number one, uh, uh, kind of, you know, what you said, stick your fork in the ground. What do you stand for? What are you going to take from it? Because you can't just copy the way somebody else is doing something. It won't work for your players. It won't work for your club it work for you. It has to be authentic and genuine to you. And on top of that, um, in, in line with that, uh, the best coaches, leaders, people I've ever interacted with are open books when it comes to what they're doing and what works and what doesn't work. It's all right here. One of my favorite stories is a, a coach that I know uh, when he first started coaching, he sat down with Anson Dorrance, the head coach for University of North Carolina women's soccer. And he said he was blown away because Anson Dorrance gave him everything. 
right? Here's everything I do. Here's our practice plans. Here's our books. You let them come watch practice and said, like, you know, be on the field, see what we're all about. And, and this coach walked away and said, I can't believe he just gave me everything. And then he said, and we got smoked by them when we played that year. And he goes, so he gave me everything. We still lost because there's, there's so like, like you said, you can have it all, but there's a difference between having it on the walls or having the right words and then implementing. That doesn't mean the other coach wasn't implementing. It means that it, that Anson at that time probably had 35 years of implementing. So it's going to take time. You make it your own and you find your groove and you create your culture and, and you continue to learn and you continue to connect and continue to reach out. Um, the fact that when you were at the FA, that was your reality uh, is definitely a part of the coach you are today and what you're doing with the career today. So um, I love it. That's a perfect answer. I appreciate it. Um, Charlotte, this was awesome. Uh, I was super excited, you know, immediately after your presentation to that, that group Marty put together, I think I, I tweeted you immediately to say, uh, I'd love to, to do the podcast. And I know this was kind of your first uh, down week. So I appreciate you taking time to do it. Uh, and and uh, I think it's going to kind of serve the listeners really, really well. So thank you for doing this. No, thank you for inviting me. It's been great to chat. Thank you for listening to the 50 Cups of Coffee podcast. To stay updated on new episodes, to engage in conversations with me or with my guests, please head on over to any social media channel. By that, I mean Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. I uh, technically do have a TikTok, but I don't use it at all. I downloaded it when it was the new and cool thing, and uh, it's not my thing. Never got into it. So uh, head on over Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, at Bobby Audley, B O B B Y A U D L E Y. Podcast theme music provided by Matisse Soy. Until next time, enjoy some coffee and conversation with the people in your life.